Six-pack Lapidat here, and we're sitting with Joe Marinzan, and wow. today... You just combined me and me and Joe's names together. Or sorry, me. Paul Marinzan! Yikes! So Joe's our guest, buddy. Joe, so okay. Joe, uh, Mark Steiner, is the creator of the IPF formula, and he's come on today, and we took, we fielded a lot of questions from a lot of people. Thank you very much, first off, if you, if you sent us some of those questions. He's going to explain the IPF formula for us, explain the process of putting it together. He's going to take some of these questions. We also have Yangsu Ren, a.k.a. Deadlift Panda, a.k.a. Sith Lord Ren. Uh, he has the single biggest feat of strength we've seen in an official meet in 83 kilo class. Um, phenomenal lifter. But on top of that, Yangsu is a scientist by trade, deals with numbers, understands when he reads these reports and how to crunch the data. So he's going to also help pitch in and explain some things. But, um, Paul, you want, you had explained, because I didn't super understand, some of the difference between the Wilkes and the IPF formula and how this is going to be a little different. Before we get these fellas on the line, this bit of knowledge is greatly going to help you understand. Yeah, and this is based on my knowledge of the new IPF formula. Um, and how they've basically made the bell curve. So the new IPF formula works on standard deviations. So if we're looking at, let's say, the 74 kilo class just as a whole, we're going to say zero is your normal point. So let's say zero is a 500 kilo total. The way that the new formula works is it's no longer comparing you against everybody else. Like it's not comparing you against other lifters and, you know, the 83 kilo class, 93, 105, et cetera, et cetera. It is only comparing you against how you fit into that 74 kilo class. So we're saying if 500 kilos is your baseline, a lifter who lifts 550 is one deviation or let's say, you know, 10% better than that standard. So that person is going to be like, if we compare this to Wilkes, 500 is a 400 Wilkes. That person would be a 450 Wilkes or, you know, a pretty good lifter, kind of reaching that advanced point. Two deviations, we'll say, is a 600 kilo total. So there's only at that point, let's say, 10% of the population sitting a 600 kilo total. So you're now better than 90% of the total, total population of lifters within your class. That's the equivalent of that 500 wokes, let's say. So that's how this formula is actually kind of based off of, Yeah. if that makes sense. And it probably makes sense but it's, it's tough to wrap people, some people to wrap their heads around. It's a completely different way of looking at lifters. It's no longer comparing you to a sample size of, let's say, 10 lifters within a period of your competition. You're now being compared against the entire body of IPF lifters within that weight class. And Wilkes didn't do that based off his... My understanding of Wilkes, and I could be very wrong on this, again, because I'm not... I, I've done stats... It's part of my job, but it's not the main part of my yeah. job, let's say. But Wilkes was just a set point. It was never a floating point. So you're basing it off of lifters from the 80s, and that's it. You're not basing it off of, you know, 9,000 lifters that we have nowadays, let's say, across your 74 kilo class in the IPF as a whole. Hmm. So it's going to make that sample size, because it's so much bigger, it's going to make your scores that much more of a... But other than just sample size, the deviation, the further away you are from the middle, the more your points shoot up. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... It's it's not going to be a linear. You're not going to be able to say, like, 
if I increase my total to 525, that's 25 points. No. Gotcha. It's going to be, you know, that's a 10-point jump. The next 10 kilos is going to be a 30-point jump. The next 10 kilos is going to be a 50-point jump. Gotcha. So it's that linear that people get used to. That's yeah. Throw that the out. The closer you get to the end of that bell curve, the higher amount of points you're going to get. That's right. So the further away you are from the median. And that's what I think people don't understand, myself included. Yeah. And that's why it's important to have this kind of information. Um, and, and I hope when you're listening, this makes sense to you. I kind of get and it, I where the we... further you are from the middle of the pack, the more points you get, because it's harder to get further. It's not a linear, it's it's going to get harder and harder to pull away and be an outlier, so you gain more and more points, which makes it stand out like, for instance, Amanda Lords, more exactly. and more ahead of the pack. Whereas you win, you're solid, but you're not that far ahead of everyone else. Not that far ahead of the other lifters in your pack. Um, so... This is our understanding, not having talked to Joe. We're about to talk to Joe. We're about to talk to Yang Su. Um, and let's just get them on because... Uh, I hope to God I'm right and don't sound like an idiot now. Because we are out of our depth and let's just let them take away from yeah. it and, uh, and explain it probably better than we are and per- perhaps correct us. So thank you for tuning in. And with no further ado, let's get Joe and Yang Su on the line. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, um, your host, Six Pack Lapinat, Paul Marinzan. We have um, Yangsu Ren, otherwise known as Deadlift Panda. He has pulled, he has lifted, period, the greatest lift we've ever seen in the 83 kilo class officially. Yep. Um, so, nice little caveat. And, uh, and also a scientist himself. And interested in such topics, so we have Yangsu Wan here. And um, we have, Joe, how about you, you introduce yourself? You were the creator of the new IPF formula, and um, maybe just a, a quick little background on yourself, and then then we'll just talk about the process of of the creating the IPF formula, and uh, and maybe so, some holes you wanted to cover with the Wilkes formula, why, why this was needed. Sure. Uh, Joe Mark Steiner's my name. I've been powerlifting since uh, the uh, late 70s. I started and did my first uh, USPF meet in 1978, started some military powerlifting before that. I did 22 years in the Air Force and was a C-130 pilot and an engineering instructor at the Air Force Academy. Um, I've been at GE Aircraft Engines now for about 20 years. I do the quantitative risk assessment for the large commercial fleets. So if you've flown on a a commercial airplane, GE makes about two-thirds of the engines that go on commercial aircraft, and I do the quantitative risk assessment where we talk to, uh, in Canada, the BEA, uh, the, their investigative bureau in the, F- in the United States, the FAA, and whenever we have problems in the airplanes, uh, I'm the guy with, uh, who, who does the assessments that say that we are in compliance with uh, commercial and uh, industry and government guidelines for a continued safe flight. And for... Uh, uh, the IPF formula, um, the Wilkes formula was developed about 30 years ago or from data about 30 years ago with about 10,000 data points and Robert Wilkes manually uh, 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 found out what the average performance was across all the weight classes. And so if you plot the Wilkes out on, a, on an XY curve with the uh, horizontal axis being body weight and the vertical axis being average, um, the, uh, you, you can see what the, the, the Wilkes performance was. And uh, like I said, that data was about 30 years old. 
and was actually done to uh, look at producing new weight classes for the IPF. And as a, a secondary thing, it was, you know, they, they found out that they could use it uh, for relative scoring. And the Wilkes formula replaced the Schwartz formula. Ooh. Schwartz formula was uh, created by Lyle Schwartz. He's a math professor, I think, uh, somewhere in Chicago. Uh, Dennis Brady knows him. Um, and the Schwartz formula, when it was awarding uh, best lifters, uh, you know, age-old question on best lifter is, uh, uh, who's the best? We compete in weight classes, so you know you can win your weight class. But how does the winner in the, the 66 kilogram weight class compare to the 83s? Compare to you know the 120s or the super heavies? And uh, back in the day, uh, I think the Schwartz formula, and I don't know exactly everything on it, but the Schwartz formula looked at kind of like the world record holders and 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 matched a curve to that data. And after a while. You're looking at the Schwartz formula, um, about 40 or, or so of the 40% of the best lifters were going to the guys in the uh, 52, 56 kilogram weight class, the, the very lightweight end. So um, lightweight lifters are naturally stronger per body weight than, than heavyweight lifters. It's not unusual for a lightweight guy to deadlift four times his body weight, or a good lifter. But it's, you know, uh, the, the super heavies, nobody's ever deadlifted four times their body weight. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, after looking at that for a while, you know, Wilkson and, you know, just the general feeling of, of everybody else went, wait a minute, we've got lots and lots of lifters outside of those weight classes who are never winning the, uh, uh, the best lifter awards. So, you know, Robert Wilkes's formula kind of went the other way and said, well, and he computed the data and tried to get a more equitable distribution of best lifters across all the weight classes. And as I said, that was done about 30 years ago with data that uh, he got. And uh, I understand it was about 500 pages of, uh, of data and hand calculations where he computed his formula. Now we got computers. And uh, so again, the, you know, the IPF was looking at it saying, um, you know, we're just not getting a good equitable distribution of best lifters across the weight classes. The best example is in, in the super heavyweights equipped bench, they're about 5% of the total population, and they were about 30% of the best lifters. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and the, the biggest classes, like the 83s and stuff, the, uh, they're about almost 15 to 20% of the population. They were only getting maybe about 10% of the best lifters. In fact, if you go to the IPF webpage and just look at the Wilkes rankings for totals and just start at the top, um, you know, 100 or whatever, and just start working your way down, the top 20 or 30 guys, there's maybe two guys that are uh, in the uh, 105s and below, and almost everybody else is 120s and 120 plus and the best lifters, and that's for equipped bench, um, three lift, classic. Um, the, the heavyweights were very much benefited, and that's actually what uh, Robert Wilkes saw about uh, you know 20 or 30 years ago when he first did his data. Also, lifters are much, much heavier than they were then. The heaviest lifters that uh, were in Wilkes's consideration were up around 150 kilos. And his math actually showed that powerlifting, or that performance started falling off after about 135 kilos, except for some you know, no notable exceptions. But average performance was falling off. Um, now we have lifters that are 200 kilos in the men's class. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, the Wilkes coefficients, if you look at them, 
they, um, in, in the actual table of Wilkes coefficients after 205 kilos for men, they're exactly the same. So a guy could weigh 210 kilos, outlift you by a half a kilo, and, uh, and, and beat you. So, you know, no matter what you weighed after 205 kilos, you still got the same coefficient. So hit. So two guys, if they had the same total after, you know, and one guy weighed 210 and the other guy weighed 250, they'd have the exact same Wilkes points. Yeah. yeah. And, and for women, uh, it topped out at 155. And in the USA Powerlifting database, we now have about at least a dozen women that are competing that, that are off the top of the scale of the, the Wilkes. So just in terms of the body weights of everybody else who was competing, um, we, we've gotten much, much bigger. And, uh, he, you know, even Wilkes, when he did his calculation, said that they should be redone on a periodic basis. They hadn't been redone since the, since the 80s. And I've kind of jumped all around, you know, covering various topics. If you guys have specific questions, you know, I'd be quite happy to try to answer those. No, you know, you know. that you're doing great. We do have specific like questions, but uh, that's great for a, a bit of a overview how we got to, to this point, because a lot of the, the points that you made are the points that we heard um, whenever the Wilkes showed up. You know, people were saying um, it seemed like, if, particularly for the men, if you were super heavyweight, if you go up to a competition, if that super heavyweight's even slightly above mediocre he's probably got it wrapped up and a lot of people express a lot of frustration and then for the the common folk that you try to explain a Wilkes formula how you win best lifter people would say well don't you just split it up couldn't you just split it by body weight well no because the smaller man will always win that um when it becomes percentage well he you know how many times body weight your total was the bigger you get you will never win that battle so there's always going to be, there's, there's seem to be instinctive biases in this when trying to create these formulas. Um, the biggest combatant you would have to have, I guess, with this would be how do you stop these biases from happening and just crunch numbers to try to make it as even keel and fair across the board? Because that's really the hardest part is, you know, how do you even know when you look at the formula well, I guess I don't want to throw too many questions at once, so let's let's do let's tackle one at a time. And Yang Su, if you got a question, you jump in as well. But um, before we get into some of the questions, how did you start to devise this? Once you've seen the deficiencies, the previous models, what was your goal, and how did you think you were going to tackle this? Tackle? Well, my goal was the same as is the IPF school, and that is um, the fairest distribution of best lifters across all of the body weights and weight classes, and now also all of the, the various disciplines. When Wilkes created the Wilkes formula, we had equipped three-lift lifting, mm. period. We didn't have bench only. We didn't have equipped. We didn't have deadlift only even. You know, we, and now we've got a lot of money riding on deadlift only competitions. So all of those things were you know, indicating that even if Wilkes was good, that we needed to expand it a little bit so that we did look at raw lifting, um, bench only, deadlift only. Um, so uh, that, that was, you know, the incentive. And the IPF's incentive was we want a fair and equitable distribution. And as I said, um, Wilkes replaced the Schwartz when it looked like it was unfairly biased towards the lightweights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just pointed out that now it's apparent that it looked like Wilkes is being unfairly biased towards the heavyweights mm -hmm. and so you know 
it boils down to what do you call a fair distribution? And what I looked at, and, and I think what, what the selling point for the IPF was, and also how they evaluated the various proposals, because my proposal was evaluated along with four other proposals for um, the, to replace the Wilkes coefficients. Gotcha, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you go to the IPF webpage and you look up under the, uh, uh, the, the IPF formula, there's several links there, and one of them is the evaluation document uh, that, that was produced by a, a couple independent PhD sports scientists that are completely outside of powerlifting, that only looked at the numerical analyses parts of this, and, and, and my proposal was chosen over uh, several other competing proposals. Um, th the most basic thing is, if, if you look at the populations of uh, by body weight of powerlifters in each weight class, you know, you start off with the lightest weight classes and you move up to the heaviest, and it's almost a bell-shaped curve where the lightest weight, weight classes have about 5%, the middleweight classes are 15 to 20%, and then the super heavyweight classes are, again, about 5% of the lifters. So you have this, you know, distribution of lifters, and what was happening was small weight classes, uh, under Schwartz, small weight classes at the bottom end had 5% of the lifters, but 30 or 40% of the best lifters. Mm. Under Wilkes, and it depends on the discipline now, under three-lift lifting, um, the, the heavyweight lifters, well, the heavyweight population, super heavyweight class, 120 plus, is about um, 5, 6% of the population, and they were getting maybe 10 or 15% of the best lifters. When you went to a quick bench, which was the worst, the, the worst skewed one, the uh, super heavyweights, the 120 and 120 plus, were 30 or 40% of the best lifters when they were only, you know, 5, 10% of the pop total population. And the very large weight classes, like the 83s and 93s, they were about, um, you know, 18, 20% of the population. They were only about 10% of the best lifters. So um, in terms of fairly distributing the best lifters across all of the weight classes, um, the, the Wilkes wasn't doing a very good job. So the idea was behind the analysis and how it was analyzed was, do the proposals, you know, as they um, uh, are there, you know, if you made a bar chart of the weight classes, in fact, again, if you download the IPF evaluation document, you can see how each one of them stack up. If you did a bar chart, are the bars for each one of the weight classes about, about the same height as the proportion of best lifters in each weight class? So if you look at, like, the top 10% of lifters, um, and let's say there were, you know, a... a you know, that if you look at the top 10% of lifters, 10% of that 10% should be in a uh, matched with the like the, uh, the 70 kilo weight class or 74 yes. kilo weight class. That's 10% of the population, and 5% of the best lifters go to the, you know, the, the heavyweights. 5% of the best lifters go to the lightweights. 20% go to the 93s. 20% go to the 83s. So, and, so, so in ahead. terms of the other proposals you've seen. Um, what do you think were some of their their errors that they might have had that they weren't chosen? Do you think because they weren't powerlifting people? Uh, no, no, actually, a lot of the proposals were proposed by powerlifters. Okay. Uh, one of the proposals was, uh, in, in fact, the, the second place proposal, if you want to call it that, was uh, written by uh, Sasha Kopayev, and he's the author of Good Lift. Uh, oh, that's yeah. used for all of the IPF uh, weightlifting championships and in multiple 
uh, you know, nations around the world. And uh, his proposal and my proposal were actually pretty darn close in, in a lot of areas. And, uh, in fact, almost all of the proposals um, were very, very close when you were looking at the average performance of the lifters. So if you said, hey, you know, what's the average? If you just drew a line uh, through average performance or computed the average performance of the lifters, you know, with uh, body weight across the x-axis and the uh, performance across the y-axis, you'd get a, a line that, and I'm trying to draw this for you, you'd get a line that, you know, just went uh, uh, you know, through the performance of the best lifters, and almost all of them at that 50% point were very, very close. In fact, they were even very, very close to Wilkes. But what happened is, is that at the, at the top end of Wilkes, it begins to, to taper off, and all of the new proposals said, hey, as the body weight increases, your average performance has to increase. So if you weigh 200 kilos, your average performance has to be better than a 175-kilo guy. If you weigh 300 kilos, if we ever get people that big, your average performance has to be better than, you know, than lightweight guys. And Wilkes' numbers just didn't show that. Mm. Uh, and so all of the proposals that, that went in uh, mathematically had something that continued to increase as body weight increase, both for men and for women, across all disciplines. So that was, you know, a, a starting point there. And then, um, but I, I think what the major difference in what the sports scientists said was different with mine is, is that I don't just look at the average of the performance. I look at the variation around the average. So um, the, uh, and, and the sports scientists, when they evaluated, they said, you know, for everybody who's in the bottom 10%, they should all have about the same score. Everybody who's in the next 10% up, regardless of weight class. So if you just, you know, took all your lifters from the, the worst guys to the best guys in every weight class and just ranked it by percentage, everybody in the bottom 10% should have similar scores. Everybody in the 10 to 20 should have similar scores. Everybody in the next group up and the next group up and the next mm -hmm. group up. Group up. So that the the best lifters across all your weight classes had similar IPF ranks, you know, or at least in the top, you know, five or ten percent. The guys in the in the middle should have similar scores, and the guys in the bottom should have similar scores. So that's and, how you kind of would know you're on track by looking right. by weight class. If you split it up into middle, top end, bottom end, do they all look the same when the scores are dispersed? And this is based off of previous results, and that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, the the way the uh, the way it was evaluated, and the way I developed the, the math for mine is, I went back to 2011 when the IPF uh, instituted the new weight classes, because those kind of artificially stratify people. You know, um, if you didn't have weight classes and you were doing some uh, strictly stuff off of a formula, people would lift at whatever their best, uh, you, you know, their most efficient lifting was. But we, you know, when you force people into weight classes, it, it, it kind of puts some steps in there. And so to make sure that the data was fairly accurate for the IPF going forward, I started with when the new weight classes came in in 2011 and used all of the data that I could find in uh, the database that's uh, powerlifting.org. Um, and that's got a, like 400,000, maybe, maybe 500,000 entries in it. And But that's for all across powerlifting. Yeah. When you start filtering out the stuff that's uh, significant to the IPF uh, and both by date and the new weight classes. And we didn't want to use youth lifters because we just don't have enough data in there to provide a good information. 
uh, when you filter out all of that, um, it comes down to about uh, 25 or 30,000 male lifters and about uh, 10 to 15,000 female lifters. Um, and that's a larger data set than Wilkes. Wilkes had about 10,000 total lifters, 6,000 males, 3,000, you know, 6,500 males, 3,500 females. I can hear you very weakly. Very quiet, yeah. How about now? Much oh, better. Better? Okay, yes. perfect. Uh, first, uh, just to add something, uh, I'm a huge fan of everything you've done, uh, Joe. Just We've been using Goodlift for a really long time in a lot of the meets that I've been to and everything that you've contributed. And I just want to say thanks a lot. Uh, but reading through, like you said before, all the IPF, documents um there's definitely a hefty amount and you definitely need a certain background to get through those but uh with i have a huge science background i really enjoy it and it was really interesting to see how what you were talking about before with each of the weight classes comparing the um, best lifters percentage wise um to the number of lifters in each weight class and it's nice to see that the new score definitely improved upon that and getting more of the more middle weight classes like the one i'm in 83s up there sort of balance wise with everybody else um, and also the most particular interesting idea to me with this new formula is the idea that calculating best lifter now is sort of not meat specific in that you're not really competing against people that's at the meet that day but more so that you're competing on a bell curve against everybody else in your weight class in terms of the athletes in the IPF so your formula that adjust for mean and standard deviation for everybody in terms of their scores now for the IPF scores that day the best lifter now is compared against everybody the elites to the novices in your entire weight class as opposed to just the 10 people maybe that show up that day to your competition so that was pretty interesting and I think that going forward I really want to see how that works in terms of having the for example the pro deadlift where you have maybe one person per weight class, like you were talking about before, and going having like 10 people and figuring out the best lifter out of the one person in 83, then 93, the 105, and 120, and see how that goes into practice. Well, but, um, you know, your good question or, or good Can you put point. your headphones back on for a sec there, Yang Yeah. Yeah, in between your, uh, that's good to take it off, and then in between if you pop back on, there we go. Perfect. I think you'll stop echoing now, uh, Joe. Okay, um, uh, as, uh, as uh, Yang Su said, I had to look down and double-check my notes. As you said, um, uh, you, know, you know, lifters are compared to that historical database of, uh, of you know, that 40,000 or so lifters. And actually, within each weight class, um, well, the... the the way the math is calculated at every single body weight, you know, um, uh, you know whether you're at the top of your weight class or the middle of your weight class or at the bottom of your weight class, at every single body weight, the, the math actually um, calculates an average performance or the mean and a standard deviation of performance at that body weight. So, uh, and, and that is, and, and that's actually what makes it a little harder to, to calculate the old, um, IPF formula, and actually all of the other formulas give you a single uh, coefficient to multiply times your total. And the way 
the IPF formula works is you look at your body weight, it tells you what the mean and standard deviation of performance is at that body weight, and then you can compare your total or you know whatever lift you're doing to that mean and standard deviation, and you can read it out in terms of IPF points. You could read it out in terms of a percentage. In fact, when I first developed this, I was uh, you know just thinking, hey, you know, percentages are easy to understand across the board. If you go, hey, I'm an average lifter, and in terms of well, in terms of uh, Wilkes points, that might be 385 Wilkes points. But that's an arbitrary number unless somebody knows uh, a lot about the Wilkes points or, or has seen lots and lots of uh, lifting data. You don't know that 385 Wilkes points means anything. You know, if you go to your, you know, your friends at, at, uh, at dinner and you're all drinking beers or whatever and you go, hey, I got, you know, I got 428 Wilkes points at my last contest, they go, big whoop. But if you say, hey, at my last contest, statistically, I'm better than 88% of all the lifters out there, or 88% of the lifters in my weight class, you know, they, they can understand that. I'm in the top 12%, or I'm yeah. at the 88 percentile. Yeah. And so that's what, you know, that's what I had actually proposed, but uh, the IPF went, well, we've been, you know, computing things on points, and we want to see points. So I converted, uh, or I just used the mean standard deviation, 500 uh, IPF points is average. For every standard deviation, you're above the average, you get an additional 100 points. Is that if right? you're below the average, you know, so Jen Thompson got almost 1,100 points at, at, uh, on bench press at, at the Arnold. That's about right. <laughs> okay. And, and so, that sounds but, about right. Six standard deviations above the mean is one in a million. Is Jen Thompson a one in a million bench presser? Probably. Probably. Pretty close. Yeah. So that's, you know, so she's almost six standard deviations above the mean. She is, you know, in fact, when you just look at her total, you know, um, you know, she's, there's about a 20 kilogram jump between her and the next person, you know, uh, behind her. And that's in the largest women's weight class or one of the largest women's weight classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's the best lifter out of a gigantic weight class. Um, so, sorry, uh, just to interrupt for a second. This is yeah. real, super interesting when you start talking about the effect on an elite lifter, somebody like Jen Thompson, who is top to top back in the Wilkes times and also now in the IPF times. But then when you actually, so if you go on like Open Power thing, um, they actually have all the scores for everybody sorted out by the Wilkes scores, but now once you introduce the IPF scores, they have it sorted by that too. It's super interesting to see that the sort of the middleweight classes didn't really get affected too much, but then if you go up to the, the super heavyweights, Ray Williams, for example, who was the GOAT and the number one in Wilkes scores, now sort of fallen to like around the top 50 just because adjustment for like the top body weight. So that's kind of crazy to see when you think about it, and that definitely has to do with the sort of the scaling. So it's almost like a z-sort conversion, but once you adjust for that standard deviation, the weight classes, you sort of penalize the previous goats who are all the way up there, and now it's definitely brought back sort of like almost a mortal realm. <laughs> and, and I think, and again, real valid argument or real valid discussion. One thing to remember is that Ray is. He's lifting the heaviest weight that ever that has ever been lifted, period. But he's also one of the heaviest lifters who has ever lifted for us, period. 
you know, uh, 15 or 20 years ago, there was nobody race size competing, let alone a, an athlete of race size competing. You know, there were some very large, some very, very large folks, but they, most of them weren't good athletes. Ray is a very, very large man and a phenomenal athlete. Oh, yeah. So you, you have a couple things going on here. Um, at the very top end, Ray is the best lifter out of maybe 50 guys who are within 10 kilograms of his body weight. If you go to the 83 class, like you are in Yangtze, how many worldwide lifters are there who are good athletes at your body weight? 10,000? 20,000? Na- nationally speaking, like Ray is unopposed, nationally speaking. Yangtze's class, nationally speaking, is ridiculous. The, the amount of depth, just in the U.S., ridiculous, yeah. to, to, to further your point. And then go worldwide. You got a guy like Brett Gibbs. It's for Brett to go to the top. It took a ten times body weight total, and he has to beat like the depth of field that he has to beat is ridiculous. Whereas to further your point, I think um, Ray is almost unopposed some years, even on a world level. So it's you know I, I get where some people are like, how do we justify Ray's fall in the rankings? But then you would say if we're looking at the super heavyweights. It's nowhere close as as deep a talent pool as, say, the 83s. And I don't think anybody could argue that. So how do you, when you're crunching numbers, the numbers have to reflect this. You're beating out um, a far shallower talent pool than you got a guy like Yang Su who doesn't make a national team, but he's pulling a deadlift that would be in the 105s competitive. It's ridiculous, right? So it is, it is. And to expand on that then, so I find the scaling very interesting because we were talking originally about the Arnolds, um, Amanda Lawrence, taking it over Megan Scanlon, having the best day possible. But when you compare the two totals, Amanda Lawrence was far and above the highest total. She's above the world record total. Oh, oh, was she? Yeah, yeah, 596. So she was so many deviations above that even on a bad day for her, she was still... And and actually what's interesting is uh, the... um, the heavyweight men lost points uh, in you know comparison to their Wilkes rankings, but the heavyweight women gained points in comparison yeah, yeah. to their Wilkes rankings. So people and, know, noted that. And and one thing too, you know, for for the men's heavyweight or, or women's heavyweight also, there's no top end of the weight class. So, you know, men go from 120 kilos to more than 180 kilos. That's a 50% change in body weight. There's no weight class that has, you know, that large group. And also, within every weight class, um, since there's a top end, um, you want to be as strong as possible at that bo- at the top end body weight. In fact, if you look at the strength to body weight within every weight class, the strongest person you know, pound for pound within that weight class is also usually the heaviest person pound for pound in that weight class. So in Yang Su's class, an 83-kilogram lifter, the, the winner in his class is usually an 83-kilogram lifter who's right at 82.9 kilos. They're, they're right at the top end, and he's also the strongest pound for pound lifter in the weight class. In the super heavies, the strongest pound for pound lifters are the guys who weigh 122 kilos. You know, they just didn't, you know, they were trying to cut weight and didn't quite make the, you know, the 120 cut. So they're lean and mean at, at 122 kilos, and and they're outlifting Ray pound for pound. You know, Ray's lifting, 
you know, maybe five, six times his body weight, and, and guys down there are lifting seven or eight times their body weight. Uh, and I may not have those numbers exactly right. Yeah, yeah. But we get your point. Yeah. You know, but the the pound for pound best lifters in the super heavies are at the bottom end of the weight class, whereas every single other weight class, the pound for pound best lifters are the heaviest guys. Mm-hmm. So, and most guys coming up in powerlifting, the first thing they want to do is win their weight class. And, and in the heavyweights, you know, if you can put ten kilos on your total by gaining twenty, you know, by, by gaining ten kilos, you do it. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in, in the 93s or in the 83s, if you gain 10 kilos and put 10 kilos on your total, you know, you're, you're just, you know, you go from the top of the 83s to be an, an average or, or weak 93 lifter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, yeah. A lot of these other weight classes, um, these guys like you got, like the Russell Orhees, for instance, are, are walking around well over their weight class and they have to cut. To make it, so they're absolutely right. at the very top end of the 83s, and realistically speaking, they're not even 83 almost, right? They're, they're 83 for a few seconds. They're, they're light 93s. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Whereas the heavyweights, that's just not the case. Uh, you just you top end as big as you can and walk around as big as you can, and there's no factors like that. And and you know, a, a guy like well, uh, my wife and I. Uh, met Ray Williams when he was going to uh, Raw Worlds in South Africa. He lost 10 kilos, I think, traveling from Mississippi to South Africa. That's insane. If Yang Su lost 10 kilos, he'd be on his deathbed. You know, if, if, if the super heavies really want to li- win best lifter, now you got to come in a little bit leaner, which is just which they have never done it going into competition before. Um, but I, I haven't, you know, nothing against super heavies, but I haven't, I've never met a guy who weighed over 150 kilos who couldn't drop 10 kilos in, in, in a week if he wanted to. Mm. And, and it might knock a little bit off his lifting, but it might not knock, not that, it might knock, might not take that much off his top end, yeah. and he might be a better lifter, both Wilkes, Schwartz, uh, IPF formula being five or ten kilos lighter and have the better numbers. Now, talking about the women's, because um, some people have noticed, so the drop in terms of the men's, I think it's something that um, initially people were just shocked because, kind of like Yangsu said, we're so used to Ray always being at the top. Any shift is going to rattle people. When you start thinking about um, depth of field, look, if, if Ray has to get through what Yang Su has to face at Nationals every single year. There's like 10 guys who are all world-class and can win it. It'd be different. But if we actually look back and say Ray's on his own, maybe right up until the Worlds, if you actually think about it, wrap your head around it, are is the super heavyweight class that deep a field? People would have to say, like whether it's state, national, or world level, you have to be honest. It's not. As an IPF commentator for the World Championships the past few years, we're, I'm looking for battles. But oftentimes it's not, even if Ray just hits openers. Whereas, to the to the point of, like, Yang Su's class, and we're really calling 83 kilo Yang Su's class because he's here, but 83 kilo Yang Su's like, yeah, yeah, that's referring to that. <laughs> but the 83 kilos, though, at the Nash, U.S. national level, uh, whatever national level, extremely competitive. These guys are shifting weights that a weight class up, two weight class up, you see 105s who are world class, who are podium at Worlds, saying, 
I'm taking squat weight that I see guys two weight classes below me taking in, in the gym as well. And, I, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. You know, I see guys hitting 700 pounds in the gym and I don't know how I feel about that because I haven't hit 700 yet myself. So it just in terms of competitiveness, if we all just step back a minute and say, yes, historically speaking, it's been embedded in our brains, raise the goat. But ask yourself, if you're making a formula based on data points and raise an outlier, and you don't look at just that outlier and look at just the data there, does it stand to reason 83s you're probably going to find far more best lifters coming from a depth of a field that's that talented? Probably. When you look at the 83s and then you look at the super heavyweights, it makes sense. And raise an outlier, and, and, but if you look at who he's beating to win, so it kind of makes sense there. Now, some people pushed back a little bit and had questions about in the women's, and I don't know I don't um, as much about that, but they said Amanda Lawrence, you, you had brought up, yep. on an off day, I guess, beat out quite a few of these other women. Beat out a bunch of 63-kilo women who were at the top of their game. However, it's deceiving to say off day because if she went five for nine, but that five made three successful attempts that was an unofficial world record, are we really talking an off day, even if it's five for nine? If it's three for nine. You're still talking about somebody who has so many deviations above the average. Right. Um, well, Which and, and, makes sense as to her point. As to her points. Yeah. And the, the, the mathematical process um, is, it, you know, it, it was validated by the statistical guys, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I can take a little bit of credit for that and, uh, but, but I think the, the biggest difference between what I did and what everybody else did is they were, you know, uh, computing things based on the average. And the IPF points now looks at the average and the deviation from the average. And um, in the women's weight classes, what also happened that's different from Wilkes is that the heavyweight class now in women used to only be uh, you know, about 5%. Now in the United States, the, the heavyweight class for, for women is 10, you know, is about 10% of the population. And uh, to the point where, uh, you know, that down, that talent pool is getting deeper and people are going, wait a minute, shouldn't we have another weight class for women above, you know, the 84 plus? Yeah. So, this is a really good point that actually I played around with the open powerlifting data for a while, especially for the women. Uh, you're right. The number of the weights definitely going higher on average. And we have these distinct splits within the super heavyweights, both women and men. But more particularly, it's more distinct in women. You can actually see three unique separate weight class to total ratio, like um, classes within the super heavyweights wow. alone, you can categorically separate them and you have three technically unique, for example, nine kilogram weight class jumps and they'd be perfect. I believe right now with the current IPF score, we are trying to sort of overfit this model into such a widespread distribution. If we just separate the women's super heavyweights into two or three additional weight classes and men's maybe into two additional weight classes, we're going to see a lot less effect of this outlier we're going to see Ray Williams actually sort of like what Ryan was talking about, be in the true position where he is in his own super, super heavyweight, I guess what you would call it, and then a right, separate right. weight class there. 
And so I think maybe going forward, maybe next year or the year after, this might be in serious consideration for another policy change to add more weight classes that fits sort of the human physiology that's increasing in body weight for especially powerlifters who train to put on mass. And you know, it's and interesting. You know, I'll get your phones back on, man, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, we get feedback when you're on, but it's beautiful. So um, it's interesting you say that, Yang Su, because uh, like Joe had said, the Wilkes formula originally made to to uh, help solidify weight classes and then ended up as a second note for like helping in terms of best lifter. We'll use this for best lifter. Joe formulates a formula that is um, to establish best lifter. <laughs> we could end up using it to help establish some weight classes, yeah. right? And But it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense where if you actually just run through the formula and you start saying, we have a cluster of lifters here, all over top of the, the bottom of the super heavyweights, but you have different little clusters of lifters and you could easily make it far more fair and accommodate the actual size we see of these individuals walking around the population. Is that probably, do you think Joe and Yang Su, that's the best way, instead of trying to force people into weight classes, Look at the actual population and look at the clusters we see the lifters. And based off of this data, we're saying this should be where the weight classes are. Like, do you guys think we should have weight? Uh, Yang Suyuri said we think we should. Do you also agree, Joe, we should maybe look towards in the future weight classes uh, up there? Well, certainly as the population of lifters change, changing weight classes makes sense at the same time. You know, guys who had the records previously are going, wait a minute, what happens to my record and, and various <laughs> things. So, you know, you know that's a, a little bit of a sensitive issue. The uh, so international weightlifting has changed their weight classes, of, you know, three or four times. Um, and even powerlifting, uh, you know, the, the heaviest weight class when powerlifting first started, I, I think, was uh, 110 kilos. And, uh, and, and, and they actually had lighter weights for men. I, I think they, uh, you, you know, they had... Uh, other weights or whatever and, and the weight classes were just you know kind of arbitrarily picked they were you know round increments of uh, uh two and a half kilos so there was a uh, a 60 uh, a 60 a 67.5 a 75 mm. uh an 82.5 90 100 110 and then 125 they were all just you know multiples there and when the new weight classes came out again uh robert wilkes uh, looked at those, and if he based them on his data from the 1980s, they were already pro- probably a little bit off and not reflective of the actual distribution of lifters in the population. And when I did my look at that, um, uh, the percentages that Robert Wilkes proposed when he proposed the new weight classes, and I think he proposed them as early as 2008, and then we were finally adopted in 2011. Those numbers look more reflective of the data that he had uh, from the 1980s when he, you know, did the Wilkes formula or the Wilkes coefficients because it really wasn't a Wilkes formula. It was a set of coefficients that was adopted because we didn't have the computers that we have nowadays. Um, so it was just a, a table of coefficients that went to four digits. Um, the Wilkes formula or the, the polynomial equation that people are using now, that was fit to the, that set of coefficients. Um, but the, uh, when I looked at the data, um, the average females are about 10 kilos heavier than what Wilkes uh, computed for the, uh, the distribution. The average males are about, I think, 
14 or 15 kilos heavier. Wow, wow. So, a lot so you know, as the population gets bigger, and, and when Wilkes did his stuff, there were no almost nobody heavier than 140 kilos, and now there's a ton of folks, literally and figuratively, much heavier than that. You yeah, know, well, uh, played, sir. Well, played, sir. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you've got uh, a lot of folks, and, and, and there are female lifters that are above the top end uh, of Wilkes' calculations also. So all of those things indicate that our lifting population is getting larger and heavier. At the same time, you don't want to create a weight class for 3% of the population. You know, the, the, the number of lifters that are above 160 kilos or 170 kilos uh, is probably less than 1%. So do you have a weight class just for that? you know, for 1% of the guys. Um, and also, you know, in the women specifically, after about set, about 80, you know, 75, 80 kilos, the performance really begins to flatten out. It really flattens out a lot. So it, it's not unusual for women in the 80, you know, in the 72 class to be as good as many of the super heavyweights. Mm. You know, um, uh, Amanda Lawrence, uh, you, you know, what did she deadlift? Uh, 246 was at. Okay, and, uh, and 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 Kim Walford's in that in that range at 72 kilograms. Sure, yeah. You know, so the the performance for women really flattens out um, at, at the top end. In fact, for in, in the United States high school stuff, um, they base their qualifying totals on the top. Uh, I think it's top 10 performers. They average the top 10 performers, and they set that as the qualifying total for the next year. And after um, about, uh, and, and, and granted, these are junior lifters, um, you know, so they haven't, haven't had a chance to mature into, the, into their strength. But after like 74, 75 kilos, the qualifying totals actually start decreasing for women. So it's easy just to put on body weight and lift less. In, 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 some, in, in effect, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and for the men, the 120 plus kilo class has a lower qualifying total in the 120s. Hmm. Um, uh, you had spoken a little bit in there about how um, obviously Robert Wilkes's data was outdated and how much, I mean, things keep changing in terms of what weight's been moved, uh, the size of individuals. So then when, when we base these formulas based off of the average population resting you know, majority, 83 kilo, et cetera. If we look down the road and we think this might shift, people might continue to get bigger, maybe, whatever, just for sake of, of, the, of, of this situation, maybe it shifts lower. Do we have anything in place that in the future we're going to keep revisiting and updating the IPF formula? Not an overhaul, not renaming it all over again, but just every five, ten years, whatever, we revisit and we see if we've seen some major shifts and changes, and we have to do some touching up. Is there is has that been taken into account as well? Or? Well, it, it, that was actually one of the, the things is now that we have a a, a process to do this, um, and as so long as the the data doesn't fundamentally change how it's distributed, um, you, you know that was one of the things that um, I, I looked at is that um, the performance of just about every weight class conforms very closely to a bell curve where you've got, you know, so fitting it to a, a mean and standard deviation um, might not be 100% statistically absolutely pure, but it's not unreasonable. You know, there's always going to be changes in the data. It, it might not be a perfect fit, but in terms of uh, making a 
formula, and, and you know, and I'll say that uh, the results are more important than the process. So if we got a resulting IPF formula that more fairly distributes the best lifters across all of the weight classes, which is what the IPF wanted, that's more important than the statistical purity of the process itself. And that's what the, you know, uh, the, that's the way it was evaluated, uh, um, both against the Wilkes and actually I think all of the proposals that, uh, uh, that the IPF evaluated were better at uh, uh, fairly distributing the best lifters across all the weight classes that, that, than the Wilkes were. So that's kind of reflective, not that Wilkes didn't do a good job, but that his, that his data is just not applicable, or that data was just not applicable to the changing population. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, we're supposed to revisit this process uh, every four years. And one of the, uh, you know, I don't want to say beauties of, of the process, but the way I, I set it up is um, with the data and computers that we have now, it only takes a couple hours to redo the IPF formula for men's equipped lifting if you have the data. And when we've got large databases like, uh, uh, you know, powerlifting.org, and, and the idea going into the future is, is, you know, since this is the IPF formula, is to just have all the IPF nations report their, you know, four years of data, and we'll roll that all together, and we'll, and probably to keep it from jumping, We'll, you know, even though we revisit the formula every four years, it might be good to take an eight-year look at the data. So it's always getting averaged with the previous, uh, you know, four years of data. So we're not throwing out uh, the data, and you won't see step change. You'll see gradual changes. Yeah. Populations are going to change gradually. So, but yes, that that's part of the process. Uh, the um, the Sinclair points that uh, international weightlifting used, and now it's Roby points, but. It, you know, that's a different thing. Uh, the Sinclair points were revisited uh, every four years, and uh, that's the initial game plan for the IPF formula is to revisit and recalculate uh, every four years. And they weren't doing that with the Wilkes formula. Is that why we started, we're using data points from decades ago where yeah. nobody's performance looked the same and we could deviate so greatly and we see such weird things happening where it's kind of weird that this wasn't in place previously, but... As long as we're here now, and, we, well, and, and we're kind and, of learning from the past. And, and certainly things like uh, uh, the, the gear used in equipped lifting changed phenomenally. I still have a, uh, an original Titan super suit from, you know, the, the early 80s. And if I compare that to one of the, you know, a, a single-ply suit today, it's just, it, it, it's not even close uh, you, you have, in you terms have... of the available support. And I have a... And Inzer, original Inzer Blast shirt, too. In terms of, um, some people say, son, I got shoes older than you. You got suits older than Yang Su. <laughs> 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 but, um, yeah, uh, some people had actually asked about, and I don't know much about the allometric system. Uh, Yang Su, you're, you're shaking your head. Can you tell us a little bit? Anyone listening? Because I don't know about it. I believe Paul had said... Did, did Candido bring it up? Can you maybe explain yeah. what it is? And then maybe, Joe, you could speak on that as well. I mean, I think Joe can probably explain this a little better. It's essentially a similar way of adjusting for body weight and the mass of, you know, humans as they get bigger. Uh, that scales not linearly with strength. But uh, Greg Knuckles wrote 
a really good piece about this. I urge everybody to go on his Stronger by Science blogs to read about this, but he essentially wrote about comparing the Wilkes score against Allometric score, and he's commented a couple of times about the new IPF scoring system. Um, but yeah, it's, it takes some statistical background to understand it, and basically the, no, the gist is, is another way of adjusting your total by your body mass, and it's slightly different than what we're currently doing with the IPF formula or the Wilkes formula, but it's both, I believe, allometric scoring and uh, Wilk, um, a new IPF scoring are both better than the original Wilkes formula. Mm, gotcha. Well, and, and allometric scoring... Oh, I got to get it. There we go. Okay. There we go. <laughs> uh, allometric scoring is, um, uh, it, it's based on, um, you know, uh, well, allometric scoring is a broad category of scoring. It, it's based not on just body weight, but other uh, human dimensions. You know, it, you, you could use the length of limbs. You could say, hey, you know, we're going to have tall and short lifters, it, it, even in the same weight class. And so allometric scoring if you wanted to take it down to, you know, every possible physiological factor, you could be measuring limb length and uh, um, and, and various other things that we don't currently measure on lifters. So, um, uh, in, in in terms of scientific purity, allometric scoring makes a lot of sense. In terms of practical application and trying to make it work in a in a competitive environment. It, it becomes very difficult because are we going to, you know, measure the, the the length of guys' forearms and the length of their thighs and, and we'll everything else? There. Go, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. But know. Um, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> uh, another point, actually, uh, just to go along with that. So, allometric scoring, like what Joe was talking about, is sort of can extend on to all sorts of allometric measurements of body lift, um, power lifters. Um, there's more and more papers actually nowadays. There's one just came out last year. I actually put a survey out earlier this year to gather some allometric measurements. So for example, can you measure your arm length? Can you measure your ape index, your femur length, your tibia length? And all these affect your biomechanics. I know, Ryan, we've talked about this before versus sumo versus conventional deadlifting alone. All your limb length are going to really affect how your biomechanics are, how your hip structure is, how wide you can go, how narrow you can go. So at the end of the day, I believe what Joe's saying is definitely true. If you start going by adjusting for limb length, adjusting for height, where sort of do you stop? Somebody's going to argue, well, your height's definitely going to make it infinitely harder and more impressive to do a conventional deadlift as like a seven-foot Godzilla compared to this five-foot dude who's doing full sumo. So it's definitely pros and cons to each of these different measurements. Mm, yeah. Um, it, you know, jumping into that just a little bit, it, it, you know, if you really wanted to throw a rock in the pond, um, you know, uh, we, we, we've only been looking at one uh, factor in weightlifting performance, and that's the amount of weight lifted. If you look at the amount of work done, which would be force times distance, somebody who has a really, really short deadlift stroke, um, you know, let's say that the, the plate's clear the floor, the, the floor by a foot, you know, or, or 12 inches, and he's doing, you know, uh, 400 pounds, he's done 400 foot-pounds of work. And if you take the exact same weight with a lifter, the exact same body weight, and he's doing conventional, and he's got to pull it 18 inches instead of a foot, he's done one and a half times the amount of work. You know, and, and, and probably, it you know, maybe not deadlift yeah. so much, but... Um, 
the bench presses that we've seen, you know, by the, the, the ladies who have the super arch and the super wide grip and the super short arms and have a bench press stroke of maybe an inch, is, is that as impressive as somebody, you know, I'll use, again use Jennifer Thompson who has long arms, a little bit of arch, and has to push the bar about a foot. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody comes along at Jen's body weight and pushes the bar a half inch and beats her, um, you, you know, who do we, you know, technically that other person's going to be a, a better lifter than Jen. But yeah, so that's where, of, yeah, when you start, I know what you're saying, when you start getting too far down that that lane and it becomes kind of like Yang Su saying, what are we measuring here now? We could really start making like all types of rules now or, or at least changing the whole face of the game. If we're just going straight up weight classes, leave it at that and just say, approach the bar up whatever's best for you. Use whatever leverages you have, and we're just going to use this this formula. So, would the allometric be more used to um, gauge with these other factors involved? Is that kind of what it what it is? Is that why some people are leaning towards the allometric? Well, I think it appeals to people academically, um, but in terms of practical application, it, it it might be difficult to do. You know, if we were smarter when we started powerlifting and we said. Okay, we're only going to allow conventional deadlift, and we wouldn't have that argument about sumo. Um, if we said that, so, um, so you you, know, you don't it, think it, we it, should have sumo? It, you know, powerlifting is what it is. Every single sport has, um, it, you know, as soon as you start competing, people take full advantage of the, the rules. We explore the boundaries of the rules. In fact. You know, just the, you know, the arguments on squat depth, you know, the IPF has been, you know, they've been called uh, uh, lots of dirty words for, you know, enforcing people, you know, forcing people to go to depth. But, you know, the, the rule in the IPF rule book is the top surface of the leg at the hip joint has to go below the top surface of the knee. And other federations started saying, well, the crease of the hip and then, you know, where is the crease of the hip? And, and uh, you know, and I... I I have asked people to point to the crease of their hip when they're down at the bottom of the squat, and you know they find where that crease is in, in their super suit, and I say, okay, put your finger on it. They put their finger on it. When they stand up, it's on the side of their, you know, it's on the side of their leg. It's nowhere near the top surface of the leg. Mm. So, um, you know, interpretation of the rules and uh, exploiting the letter of the law to the fullest extent for your fullest competitive advantage. That's what everybody's done, and uh, whatever rules we put in place, somebody's going to uh, use it to the max extent. Knee sleeves are a great example. You know, knee sleeves, when they were first allowed, uh, weren't, weren't supposed to do anything more than provide warmth to the knee. And actually, when we were developing the guidelines for raw lifting, I said, nope, you don't want to have knee sleeves in there. If you don't want to, if raw lifting is supposed to be completely non-supportive, don't allow knee sleeves because... I'm an engineer. Even if you make them out of neoprene, neoprene is a is a material. I can engineer the properties of the material to provide support. And and, and so, you know, there just isn't any way to have a perfect set of parameters that you, you know that we're going to do for uh, you, you know for lifting. Um, but it, it, you know, whatever set of rules we use, you know, they're going to be fully exploited. People are going to lift right at the top end of their weight class, which is you know, that just cut, makes sense. And cut water. You know, 
like, and, and cut water and do whatever they do. That's need every to do. sport, yeah. You, you, you know, we, we have a two-hour weigh-in rule. If we had a longer weigh-in rule, people would, you know, exploit that to its fullest extent. Um, you know, so uh, uh, that, that that's just the name of the game. As soon as you start competing at it, every, the, you know, we explore the boundaries of the rules. And, you know, if the, if the limit wasn't the limit, you know, or if you weren't going to the limit, it wouldn't be the limit. You know, that's what everybody's doing. This and I just realized we're almost, you know, Paul and I are wearing the, the same shirt. I didn't, I was going to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> you guys connected before this, didn't you? Yeah. And me and yeah. Sue, oh shit. What the <laughs> hell? And we're, we're, both, uh, yeah. <laughs> See, my, we're both red-ish anyways. Wowzers, we're all twinning out here. You got a couple questions from some people. We've actually already covered all the questions. Do we, we let's take a little quick Allometric look here. scaling. Yeah. Uh... Competing as IPF athletes for people of that day. Plans for... Yeah, man, we've, we've covered quite a few. Yeah. Yangsu, do you have any questions yourself? Is there anything that you've heard that we haven't covered in terms of um, the IPF formula? Because most of ours, we've kind of discussed in terms of updating, in terms of um, to put the positioning of the GOAT, Ray, like you had said, um, in terms of in term, the women's, where Amanda Lawrence seems to have, even on a five out of nine day... Um, beat all the women who might have had a nine for nine day, but she's an outlier, and her five for nine is an unofficial world record. And uh, it really doesn't matter if it's five for nine, three for nine, nine for nine. It's the, what the total shifted was, yeah. and if it's if it's that great, you know what can I tell you? If you could do it all in your openers, it is what it is. Um, but uh, it, was there any questions that you would heard yourself, Yang Su, in terms of this, or that you had on your on yourself regarding it? I think we cover a good spectrum of the questions. Um, I myself, you know, I have a stats background, so I'm a fan of the uh, sort of flexible nature of the new algorithm. Um, since it does take everybody into account, all the database is constantly updated, so then you can basically, you don't have to depend on the same thing as Wilkes as before. Uh, it was just particularly interesting to me how much it affected the top and the lower spectrum, the weight classes, and how this is going to affect the best lifter awards going forward. Um, but I guess as long as there's a adequate number of sampling to sort of sample from, we don't really have that concern. Um, my particular interest was mostly how we're going to address these outlier issues going forward now that the higher weight classes are being penalized, now that you're not sort of encouraged to just put on as much mass as possible for the super heavyweights in order to up your total by like 10 kilos, like what Joe was mentioning. Mm. Are people going to be making more weight cuts in the super heavyweights and sort of staying in the middle grounds or closer to even just like 122? Or are we actually going to just uh, sort of make new policies to go around that by putting more weight classes in? It's interesting because for the men's, we have goats like Ray Williams who are sort of the top of the top, no question. But then for the women's, we have somebody like Bonica who I plotted out before, she's right in the middle sort of the super heavyweight weights, but she's all the way up there by herself in terms of total. So she's like the super goat who is also not the heaviest there. So she is definitely going to stay at the top of the IPF and the Wilkes with scores there. But So I don't think we don't have as much concerns there. But I think for the men who are sort of encouraged to put on a lot more body mass there, we're going to see a lot more of sort of this bias and we're going to see more of this maybe weight cut method uh, coming forward with the IPF points winning. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it is true. I mean, 
some of the heavyweights might make a decision. Do I just not worry about the best lifter and I just want to be um, the heavyweight champion of the world? And it, the thing with Ray, I don't think, I think in terms of winning best lifter, um, when you're the heavyweight champion, you're the strongest man, period. Like, like of, of anybody who shows up in the world. So he might just be like, I'll take that and I'm going to concede um, no longer being the best lifter. Yeah. I'm thinking well, guys like Ray. I already know from talking to Kelly at our national championships that that's the aspect that he's taking. It's just going to be. for him, it's total. It'll be like, yeah, and I think the, uh, that they'll probably still stay heavy. But just yeah. concede. And we actually saw that like in the 120 plus battle for our CPU Nationals. Kelly was below Jason Burney in terms of IPF points. Oh, really? But I didn't above, even know that. But above him by, I believe it was 100 kilos in total. He's a much larger gentleman. Yeah. And we might see stuff like that where um, only in the super heavyweights, obviously, but you'll see someone win the class and a different person beat him on best uh, in terms of the, the formula. But the difference in size could literally be 100 pounds. And we see that. Okay. That happens often, yeah. Well, it, it, if somebody comes along tomorrow and outlifts Ray by 10 kilograms, you know, he'll, he'll be the strongest person in the world, right? Yeah. But what if he outweighs Ray by 50 kilograms? Who's the best lifter? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that the, makes the, sense. The, 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 the new guy is the greatest of all time in terms of total weight lifted. But then somebody will go, well, Ray's, you know, 50 kilos lighter than this guy. He only beat him by 5 or 10 kilos. So isn't Ray the best lifter? So, you know, um, uh, and, and I think what has happened psychologically, though, is, uh, you, you know, when Wilkes came out, and when Wilkes first came out, there was nobody as big as Ray. So the the Wilkes formula numbers that were based on data that didn't exist, you know, Ray was benefiting from a calculation that was made when his body weight wasn't even in the database. Yeah. You know, there was nobody as big as Ray or as, or as big as Blaine Sumner or Jesse Uepa or, or even uh, uh, Kelly Branton. There, there was just nobody there. So whatever points they were getting... Those were just extrapolations, not even based on anything anywhere close to the available data. Um, and when, and because Wilkes was static, the heavyweights started winning best lifter. And, and they were also in the best position to win best lifter because they were the last guys to lift. They could always look back and, and see what they needed to lift to win best lifter because they were lifting last as opposed to first. And actually, I, you know, I'm going to just do a, a quick change here. Imagine having a contest where you bring out Ray Williams and uh, Fedosienko, and you go, okay, we're going to have this competition based on, on, on IPF points. You choose your lift, and, and we'll put that on. And, and instead of increasing in total, you, you know, increasing weight on the bar, it's by increasing IPF points. So that you have a head-to-head -head contest on IPF points by two guys who are who could be battling it out, you, you know, for best lifter. Um, you know, and if Ray, uh, you know, if Ray has a good day, his total change is 100 kilos. You know, if Fedosienko has a good or bad day, his total might change 10 kilos, 12 yeah. kilos. You know, I mean, the difference in one lift. So uh, uh, it, it might be interesting to have a head-to-head -head contest just back and forth on best lift, not and not, and neither guy had the advantage of, of looking over his shoulder and going, I know exactly what 
you know, every person lighter than me lifted, and, and I know exactly what I need to win best lifter. Um, so I, I think what had happened, though, over the, you know, 30 years that the Wilkes points have been in place is that the heavyweights just started winning best lifter more and more often, and part of it was is that, uh, you know, that they were advantaged, or they had an advantage uh, according to the Wilkes points, and so we just automatically associated best lifter with the heavyweights as opposed to somebody, you know, in, in the middle weight classes. I mean, uh, you know, Oleg Yaroslav on, on, under, you know, uh, IPF points, he might have been a perennial best lifter for, you know, the past X number of years, and we'd associate best lifters always with the middleweights because that's where the talent pool was really deep. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, so, um, it, you know, it, um, it, in 10 years from now, when the super heavyweights are rare best lifters, um, you know, th- then when, you know, when the IPF points get re- revisited every couple years and somebody moves up or down a little bit, they won't go, oh, my God, that's a huge change. You know, it'll just be, you know, business as usual. People entering powerlifting right now using IPF points yeah. won't know any different, you know, 10 years from now. And yeah. that's, that is the, the, the thing with change. Everybody automatically gets taken back and like, oh my God, this is what I'm used to. How is this possible? And like you said, people entering the game now will, will be entering under the, they'll know like, yeah, well, it makes sense. Ray Williams walking around over 400 pounds is, a, is an anomaly in terms of um, how many people are actually in that talent pool and can stack up with Ray. Absolutely. When you watch the Nationals, it makes sense. There's very few people in that talent pool who are in there. Um, so it makes sense that there will be, if you have far more people in the 83s, the likelihood of finding someone in the 83s to win the best lifter will be far greater. It's just numbers, right? The that statistically speaking, it makes more sense. Um, so I think, like you said, it's just what people are used to, you know. Um, and it's just if it. I think Henry Ford has a good saying. He said, "If I ask, because a lot of people don't know, and they're not going to crush numbers like you two." Um, so Henry Ford said, "If I asked the people what they wanted, they would have told me, give me a faster horse, not a car.'" And I think what we're dealing with right now. Is um, you put yourself a car on the on the on the roadway right now? People don't know how to use it, and it's a little scary. But once we get used to it, and we're used to the numbers, and we're used to the changes, it starts making sense. The more we talk about it, and we're now up to updating that car every four years. You know, the, the discussion hasn't ended as opposed to previously. So I think this is where we're at. If I could wrap it up with a nice little analogy there. Do you guys have any kind any kind of Closing comments you would like? Uh, Yang, so I'd like to keep you on to talk about your lifting. Uh, so it's not just about the stats, but any other closing comments you guys would like to make before we, we uh, close that up? Well, it, you know, this is Joe. I'd, I'd just like to say thank you very much, um, you know, for the opportunity to talk about it. Um, uh, you know, the IPF is, you know, worked really hard to put out what it, it believes is the most fair, uh, best lifter, uh, you know, formula out there. For the IPF population, that's another thing to remember too: is that this is based on the IPF population. If somebody is using IPF points in an untested federation with different, you know, different weight classes, different rules of execution, different equipment, um, it, I don't want to say it's going to fall apart, but it's going to be different. One of the quick things we had was, you know, people started trying to apply both the Wilkes formula and IPF points to, um, you know, 25 kilogram 
uh, youth lifters, and it just doesn't work because you know their data wasn't included. You know, some people were going, "Wait a minute! If I weigh 25 kilos and, and lift 50, I get 6,000 you know Wilkes points or, or IPF points." And I went, "Nah, it just you know it, it, it doesn't work that way." So uh, the data is or the formula is good for the range of data that for which you know that that was calculated on, and as we move forward, the population changes and grows. We'll keep uh, updating the formula and make sure that it's reflective of the, uh, you know, the actual lifting population. Remember, it's a relative, you know, we, we've decided that best lifter is more important than, uh, you, you know, winning your weight class. Uh, you know, powerlifting, if it was shot put, all we'd have is Ray Williams and we'd have nobody competing <laughs> in any, any weight class. So, yeah. you, know, you know, so, but we decided to have weight class and so we put people in weight classes. And, Winning your weight class is more important than being best lifter. I mean, it, it really is. You, you know, the best lifter is, it, it's a relative ranking that's based on, uh, you know, stats and math and some other things. And you can always argue those things. But when you beat the people you're going head-to-head with in your competition, winning your weight class, that's the most important thing. You know, you can argue what's best lifter or not best lifter. Um, you know, some of the quotes out there, uh, and I'm sure you guys have heard it, is, you know, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. And, uh, you know, you know, this was the best that we could do and uh, uh, the, the best that the IPF could do. And, and it does do a better job, independently evaluated, of being equitably distributing best lifter across all the weight classes and also across all the disciplines. Because... In reality now, we have, um, uh, let me see, you know, we had uh, Wilkes for men and Wilkes for women. We have men, women, raw, equipped, bench only, and we even have deadlift only and squat only. So there's mm-hmm. like 16 different formulas now, and and uh, you already know that, that bench press doesn't scale. Um, yeah. You, you know, the same uh, super heavyweights. Um, uh, bench more than they deadlift many of them you know especially geared and that never happens on the lightweights yet we were using the exact same formula for three lift bench press and deadlift Mm -hmm. and and giving away money on all of those things in in, uh, competitions like the Arnold yeah so and but uh, you know just to wrap up thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it Um, I'm happy to answer questions um and you guys have my email if people have questions that uh, you know that they want answered. You know, send them to me, and uh, and I'll I'll be happy to answer them. And I'm glad to see you know a positive reception at least on on, on some fronts for the uh, the IPF formula as a replacement for the Wilkes. One hundred percent. Thank you for coming on, uh, taking time out your day, especially on St. Patty's Day, to join us to answer these questions. And um, I think no matter what formula is put forth, there's going to be some negative feedback. That is the that's just a given 100 there has to be but as a whole from my mind's eye and i'm not a i'm not a statistician took stats in you know university but it was no expert but it makes sense to me that the greater the population the more likelihood that's where it's going to come from um i mean it, I, I appreciate you coming on explaining to to all of us and and, and take fielding these questions that we've gotten and um you know, I, I, I'd love to have you back on in the future. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bye, Joe. Guys.
All righty. So, and we'll keep yep. Yang Su to talk about where you've been with the lifting, sir. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, that was a good talk. Learn a lot. Yeah, can you put your headphones back on? Will it work? Yeah. Will it work? Can you hear me? Uh, let's see. Talk for us. Yeah, can you hear me with this? Yeah, you know what? I can hear it. Yeah, 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 we can do it. I'm going to turn you up. Okay, all right. Because there's, there's echo with your headphones off for some reason. Okay, perfect. No, that sounds good. Yeah, so how you been? I know um, one of the biggest questions I got is because you have been the unofficial world record holder for the deadlifts forever. And your deadlift, my friend, is um, it, it is competitive several weight classes up. Are we going to see Yang Su Ren in the IPF record books in 2019? So that's been the goal. So I don't know if uh, you saw my post uh, a couple weeks ago, but the main thing I've been sort of fighting on the side in the last year has been the sciatica issue. So my lower back... Some pinched nerve has been causing just pains shooting down legs, and it's a regular thing. So anytime my like squat and deadlift volume cranks up, this pain sort of comes in, and it definitely gets in the way of training. So my coach and I, Joe, you've met, you've yeah. talked alongside with him. We've been trying to come up with new methods of training, new methods of lifting. One of the main things is sort of getting a less back-dependent sumo deadlift, and that's taken a real long time to sort of fine-tune. Um, a lot of good people have been helping, like David Wilson's videos, um, Bryce Kochoff's videos. Like They've been definitely helping a lot, but mainly trying to get this back dependency away from my sort of repertoire. And it's, it's coming together. I think it's definitely coming together, and we're definitely now able to push these lifts more. And I feel a lot more confident with the deadlifts, a lot more confident with the squats without pain. So I, I believe we can definitely push the envelope this year, um, if not next year, mainly because my, there's a lot of life things going on. I'm changing jobs and actually going towards, you know, big boy job that's going to actually put some more skills to use, make more money. But yeah, that's outside of powerlifting. Yeah. Um, but there is so many national teams. Like there's, there's the North American Championship, the Pan American Championship. You guys aren't in the Commonwealth, but um, there's at least those as well. Have you thought about joining one of those teams? Because you wouldn't even, honestly, you don't even have to, have to be 100%. Your right. deadlift can drop, and you can still snag that IPF record. I, I've so talked to Joe about it. I'm like, I, if yeah. I was in your shoes, I'd be like, listen, throw me on any of these fucking teams. I'm smashing that record. Yeah. Throw it on my resume. I was, I was talking to Joe about that at the uh, <laughs> yeah, nationals as no, well. Once you have an IPF world record, no one ever takes that off your resume. That's done. Right. And that's such right. a huge caveat to be like, I have... The biggest, single biggest lift in IPF history for my weight class. Right. And actually, that was supposed to happen this year. Uh, Bonica is actually really angry at me for this, not coming to Iceland with her to go do the IPF uh, competition there. But yeah. originally, we were supposed to. So I got the invite, and we were supposed to go to Iceland and basically make the world record official. But a lot of life things came up with the job, with the training, with the uh, injury. So we decided to sort of go... Put, put that a little bit on the back burner and do it at a later time. But, yeah, that's definitely – it's got to happen. It needs to happen. I really want to make that official and hopefully push the envelope even higher. I want to make that 765 a real thing in the meet. Yeah. So, yeah, that definitely needs to come up. Uh, you're right. There's a lot of options out there. And Joe's been pushing to do the same thing, go I travel bet. internationally. Because yeah. North Americans is in Costa Rica. Beautiful. And yeah. the Pan Americans 
And that's in August, I believe. And the Pan Americans, um, I think might be in September. And that is somewhere in the South. Uh, it was in North America. It's every two years. So there's some options still in 2019. Do you think we might see it 2019 or are we looking 2020? I Realistically, with how this year is panning out in terms of uh, my own personal career, probably more realistic 2020. Okay. And especially with uh, what we're working through right now with technique and pain-wise. But definitely, I'm, I foresee it happening. Uh, but more importantly, it's just I want to keep increasing my personal, my own personal best, my own total, and slowly, you know, catch up in experience and slowly catch up in total to all these other big guys that have been in the game for a really long time, you know. I'm still seeing, like, Russell's and Sean's training videos constantly. It's motivational as hell. Yeah. And some of these other 83 boys are jumping up there, you know, Pancake God and Evan Marcus. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else is constantly pushing an envelope. So I definitely want to catch myself up slowly to them and just be able to be one of the top contenders here in America where definitely I think the biggest talent pool is. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, in terms of at the Worlds, and I'm going to ask you your pick for the Worlds because I have to, but um, in terms of the Worlds, for sure, like, Brett isn't in the U.S., so, yeah, okay, you know, the best isn't in the in, in the U.S., but if you look at from top 10, the U.S. is probably scarier than the Worlds. It's it's frightening, you know, how deep that division is. When you go to Worlds, you got other, like, Brett's, you got Brett, and, you know, he, on any given day, could beat everyone else at the U.S. top nationals. But after Brett, you know, it's it's super deep and it's almost all from the U.S. It's scary stuff. Just to try to get up in the top five is ridiculous, let alone podium. Um, what are some of your picks for these worlds coming up? <laughs> if, if I could throw you on the spot, my man, what, what, what are some low? And, yeah, you have to do 83 kilo. Yeah, no, 83 kilo. I think with Russ having a great day, he'll have that spot secured. Woo-wee. But it's, I, I think, I just with watching his training going recently, like actually watching him push himself to above anything like more than RP8 is scary. Because yeah. in competition, you see he's got a lot left in the tank. So I really want to see him push the envelope and get 9 for 9 at Worlds. That's exciting. Like, I'm looking forward to that. And 93, honestly, like... I know David Wilson's been battling a little bit of some uh, injury, a little bit of issues, but with his training picking up speed, I think he's definitely got a good shot to winning that. Like, just strongly believe that. Uh, Chris, I think another weight class that I'm really interested in has my good friend Kristen Dunsmore in there. So, yeah, yeah. you're gonna I'm, be biased, I'm, my friend. You're gonna be biased. Oh, yeah. You go oh, yeah. Kristen Dunsmore I'm, for sure. I'm biased. I'm definitely biased. I got good <laughs> friends that I'm going to be always supportive of, but I think she's definitely going to take it home for the Juggernaut team. And she's her training is definitely going great. And you know what? Her she had a piriformis issue for a while, but now she's kind of sort of figured out ways to train around that and sort of rehab that. So I think those three are some of the top contenders, and we're going to bring back a, t- a lot of the t- titles back to the U.S. Yeah, I know it's for all Americans. What about? Um, <laughs> I, I noticed. What about 105? Let me get your opinion there. Yeah. Do you think Vers Becky comes back and reclaims his title 100%? Because I think this might be one where you might have to go against the U.S. What do you say? Oh, yeah, I, I think so, especially with that deadlift. I think he's going to be pulling for the win there. So depending on what he loads up, I know everybody's going to be standing up around the world for that again. So if he gets that, I think if he gets the third deadlift, he's got he definitely has a shot for the title. The one, the sleeper in that division, I think, is Rondell Hunt, whom 
absolutely floored me, and I think most people I, viewed him in the juniors. Out totaled every the open 105s was the biggest showdown we've seen in, in the 2018 worlds. And as a junior, he out totaled all of them. And that is freaking crazy. Go ahead. And uh, I was gonna say, given his recent training footage, I'm going with Hunt. Personally. Like I, I what do you think there? Do you think Hunt has a shot here of oh, yeah. of taking it? Oh yeah, for sure. This kid has so much room to grow, and just insane how much he just came out of nowhere and just placed yeah. so much on the bar and just got it with ease. And yeah, I definitely think he has got a contender for the easily the open top total without being pushed in the juniors. Yeah, he exactly. Did that. And it's afterwards, I was like, "Run!" We had him on the podcast. I'm like, "Do, do, do you know you would have won the open? Like, like, yeah, and exactly. no one was no exactly. one was pushing you." You weren't loading yep. the bar because someone's on your heels. What do I have to pull to win? Let's go. This is just him casually strolling through the park, loading right. the bar. Yeah. And he ended right. up defeating everybody in the thickest division. We we thought the 105s was phenomenal. World records right. falling back and forth. Everyone's on their feet. Little did we know a guy in the juniors had already walked through that. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely a performance I want to see. Uh, what about your thoughts on 63 Kilo? The rematch between Jen Thompson, Sam Calhoun, and Jen Thompson... Reigning world champ, but had lost the same at nationals. It's yep. it's it's the rematch. What are you thinking? I think that was one of the best sportsmanships like I've seen. Just passing the throne on over to Sam after she lost. It was it was awesome. It was just so graceful. But I believe it's gonna be a good fight. I really can't call it right now either way, but. I think Sam's definitely been getting stronger ever since the last competition, and she's going to be putting up a bigger total every meet from now on. So I definitely think she has the potential of pushing that envelope even higher and higher. And Jen, somehow still, she's getting stronger. So I have no idea how like <laughs> I, how much robotics is inside of her, but like, it's <laughs> crazy. Like, I, I'm just floored by both their progress. No. So my... I don't know. I can't personally. I can't tell who's gonna win between the two of them. Jen might have but, come from the future to save us all, like Terminator. I, yeah, exactly. I the Terminator. Say, now, does anybody uh, know what happened with Jen though at the Arnold's? Because she pulled out of the three lift, if I'm not mistaken, because she tore a hamstring or something. Is she? Do you know? Yeah, is she injured? Do you know? I actually don't know. I'll yeah, I didn't. That. Yeah, because that's. I was. I was turnaround. gonna ask you if you know anything about Charlie Dickinson's like the uh, injury from squats and. Practice. You know what? I seen it. I, he looks like he's on the mend. I'm gonna shoot both of them and update anybody who's listening, just yeah. because we brought it up. I'll shoot them both messages. Uh, there's one more I want to ask you. One more showdown. I want to ask you. Get your get your pick. Um, Taylor Atwood is rematching. Shale uh, <laughs> oh Beckland. And, you guys and, are you guys are stirring some fire over woo, there. Stirring the pot, aren't we, my friend? Yeah, it's getting yeah. hot in this kitchen. Oh what do you think? Oh because Sham Beckley, he had said, he goes, look, everybody's all over Taylor with this yeah. 700, when he was slightly over over the uh, weight class limit, posted a monster total. He's, he's like, people aren't recognizing what's going on in Europe. I did the same, slightly over, still under 80 kilo, hit a 7.73, and that's two years ago. So if people think Taylor's that far ahead of me, it's not. <laughs> he's trying to tell them, he's like, if I was American, I'd probably get a little more shine and they would see my totals. He's like, it's going to be different when we when we go head up. <laughs> yeah. So, I for one think, Russell or he, Brett, amazing showdown. Like, all these other ones, amazing showdowns. But this, we have two world champions who are going to go one more time head-to-head. 
Um, I think this might be the actual biggest showdown in the men's. It's oh, yeah. the one I'm actually looking at. I actually to. think it's the most competitive. And in terms of resumes, show me another one. We got world champ versus world champ like this. 105's Hunt versus Rizbecki, I think, is up there. But Hunt's yeah. resume isn't like isn't like Taylor's and Buckland's. So who, first off, is – who are you picking in there? What do you think? <sighs> that's, that's just hard. I respect both of them. Uh, but – I'm going to always go for the deadlifts hero, you know, Jell Becklin. Deadlift, had a deadlift off with him alongside him. Great guy, has amazing leverages, and his training is always crazy because he posts both raw and equipped. Yeah. And I'm so excited for him to come back to the raw world for this. And honestly, like, I just want to see him push Taylor to where Taylor has an emotion during his lifts. I want to see him. I want to see him struggle, like yeah. that perfect, like to, the perfect that. smile, the hair, everything is just. Oh, it's beautiful. I want yeah. to see. Yeah, it's beautiful. But I just want to see an ounce of struggle come out of him. And if that's gonna take, like, if Backlund's gonna need to push him to be able to chip something at the end for a third deadlift, I just that's just my dream yeah. to see them head to head so close at the end. Yeah, I'm with you because I haven't seen Atwood really struggle yet in meat. It's it's just ridiculous the numbers that he puts up and how effortless it is. Like we talk about Hunt, but yeah, if you if anyone listen, if you hadn't heard the Becklin uh, podcast because he's not as big in North America and more we have a lot of downloads in Europe, but we have a, a huge chunk from the U.S. You're doing yourself a disservice before you watch the world. Listen to it. Because, um, yes, this is a phenomenal matchup. It's going to come down right to the wire. And um, I agree. When you have the ability to dead last, you just have to chip for the win. It's going to come. Like, it's, you, it, it, I mean, it's cliche to say, but neither guy can really afford to miss. It is that close, yep. you know, and, yep. and who's healthy, who's not. Um I'm 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 it's it's I'm, I'm tough on I'm picking this winner <laughs> myself. I have a hard time. I'm not gonna yet. This isn't necessarily a preview show, so we're gonna time. I love Atwood as a lifter. I love the strength guys as a coaches. Yeah, but it's gonna be just. Yeah, I don't even know how I can pick. They've hits. <laughs> they've uh, they're they're very well matched. Yeah, yeah. Um, who do you think? Who do you think's gonna out squat out bench out pull in terms of these little mini battles between them? Oh, that's see hard. I think honestly, I think Taylor's gonna out squat, but the bench is gonna be close. It's gonna be either either person can win on bench, and then Backlund's gonna out pull. But it's gonna make it so close. It's so close. It's so that's close. literally a tie score. Like here's the thing, and I, you you kind of already said it, but it's true. Um, when Backlund pulls, if if Backlund's pulling last. He just chips it. He yep. just chips your total. You finish. You pulled. Your total is secure. You're done. Now I get to pull. Now yep. I load the bar exactly, not a kilo more, what I need to win. And the hardest part about powerlifting is loading the bar without tipping over. Not realizing yep. you actually didn't, you failed your third pull. You actually didn't need to pull that much because I'm going to fail mine too. You only had to beat yep. my second, but... When you pull last, you get to see the whole body of work completed yeah. and only load. So if Taylor wants to push his last deadlift because he wants the biggest total possible, but he overshoots, it's just a stitch, misses his third, and now his second deadlift goes towards his total. Now the Norwegian's like, oh, well, okay, <laughs> let me lower this bad boy. I don't have yeah. to gamble like you did on your third. Right. It's such a, when you come to, uh, when it's that close a matchup, it's such a good 
advantage to be the bigger puller. I yeah. don't look who I'm talking to, but you know what I mean. It's right, right. So I think a lot, a lot of people don't know this, but Backlund's the guy who has the current official 83 kilo world champion yeah. did, he not, did he not post? Dropping your name in there, I swear I, yeah. I brought that up yeah, to him, yeah. and he and he had amnesia for a second there. I yeah. said, "My man, you called out Yang Su." He goes, "Did oh, I yeah. do that?" Yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. But, <laughs> so this man broke the current 83 world record as a heavy 74 kilo yeah. b- boy. Like He's this guy, he was only like 78 kilograms, and he still got the like. 325.5 kilo record. Yeah. yeah. It's that, crazy. That's why people need to, um, that's one of the reasons why I do these podcasts. Um, both guys, phenomenal. Taylor doesn't get enough love either. To, to tell yeah. you the truth, Taylor should have had 100,000 followers, but that's why we got to do these podcasts to keep showing people so <laughs> people are aware who is out there. You know, so exactly. leading up to the world championships, we're going to do far more preview shows. And really, I think this year, I want to actually. Um, one podcast breakdown, one man, one women's division, as opposed to try to jam it all into one. If not yeah. one, maybe two divisions, so we could really ho- jump in there and break yeah. it down a little better. But um, listen, my man, I've had you on here for ninety minutes. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for Thanks your so picks. Much. Thank you for your updates on yourself, your picks for the worlds, as well as input for the for the formula. Great, great having you on again. If people want to fo- follow you, how do they get a hold of you? And uh, just. Yep, just look up Dead Left Panda on Instagram. I'm up there, the first one. Thanks for having me so much, man. Always good talking to you. Always, dude. The door is always Pleasure. open. Good luck, yep. man, and I look forward Thank to keeping you. in touch. Have a great St. Patrick's Day. You too, buddy. You too. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm, he's, he's right with a lot of these. Like, his picks first off, It's these are battles, man. I don't know how I swing on them. I keep going back and forth. Like I said, yeah. I hate picking against Taylor Atwood for whatever reason. I think it's the hair. Well, be, well um, first off, but, you, and for two guys like me and you, we yeah, can easily hold that against him. We can easily hold that against him. We can hold it against him, or we can just be absolutely yeah. in love with it. That's I mean, right. Um, yeah, man, it's... The thing is, we're talking about Backlund's deadlift, but Taylor's no slouch in that either, and we've never seen his deadlift pushed. And, and there's the thing, all... These guys are proficient at all three of yeah, these. Like, these guys are already world champions. Um... Backlund, world champion in and out of equipment. And Taylor, just smashing shit we've never seen before. Like, it's, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not shitting you, man. This might be the one I'm most excited about. And, um, in terms of, uh, you know, what Yanksy was saying with the other picks, like, I don't know how I'm swinging with the 105s either with, you know, you have versus Becky, but you also have Hunt who, yep. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a hell of a... We're going to have to break these down. Obviously, bring in Matt Gary. He's going to crunch the numbers. Yeah, and then I'm going to pick whatever Matt Gary of picks. Course, of course. Of course. But I'm starting it's, to... I don't know. I, I, I'm on a, I really do think we should break down possibly two weight classes, two men's, two women's, and break it down a little further um, when we do these. And maybe have a couple guests like like we just had Yang Su and get their picks leading into the World Championships. Yeah. But this is, an, this is a good... Um, Podcast in terms of breaking into the IPF formula. Like I said, I'm not a stats guy. So I'm coming up with the questions that the normal layman would have. And, um, you know, Yang Su, you know, he's far more into stats. He's a scientist. He literally, yeah. by trade, he's a scientist. Uh, Joe, obviously, the, the number of data points he's crushed. Um, he works with numbers as well. So I'm throwing out these questions and I, I put it out there to people. Give me questions if you want me to throw them out there. And I gave the, put the questions forward. So um, if you're listening, 
You know, don't be like, I should have asked this. You should have asked that. I hey, just kiss. Don't be mad at us. I, I gave what, yeah. what I know. I honestly, uh, this is the best I could do. But on the surface, it makes sense to me. Uh, the allometric system, I don't know enough of it to investigate. Me like, is it better? Is it worse? Is yeah, it, there's... These two both were like, uh, you know, theory-wise, it's great for other things. But it doesn't necessarily translate as well, particularly with powerlifting. Yeah, that's, it's, that's the answer as right you said, it's something that people are just going to have to get used to. Yeah. Realistically, it makes sense to the way they're doing it, but it's so far deviated from what Wilkes was that it's going to take a lot of time for people to actually get comfortable and understand it. What I do like is the fact that um, every four years they look into it again. I love that idea as well. Yeah. So we don't ever... And I would actually drift. love the fact that we're talking already about will it change the weight classes. Maybe it will. Yeah. And well, it probably should, to be honest. If they start seeing trends. I mean, it's... I think we're just far more now receptive yeah. to the conversation. Like maybe add in a 92 or a 94 or whatever kilo women's. It might maybe happen. add in a 135 for men. Yeah. 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 If not right away, fine. Maybe Let's change it from 74 to 77 kilo for men just so I don't uh, have to cut anymore. Just okay. saying. I thought we were going to start it's... moving this direction. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's a good podcast. Informative. I hope everybody liked it. But you know what? Um, like I said, I don't necessarily have all the questions off the top of my head because I'm a little out of my, my expertise dealing with these kind of crunching, these kind of stats, crunching these kind of numbers. But Joe said, if you got questions, fire them to me and I'll email Joe and we'll post them. We either have Joe back on or, um, I'll just post it up or bring it up on the podcast, whatever. Yeah. I'll air it out. So if you listen to this podcast, you listen to this discussion and you're telling yourself, I have some follow-up questions. I happen to know a little more about stats, and I wish you would have asked ABC. Well, go ahead and shoot me ABC. I'll send it to Joe, and we'll air it out. I the one thing I like about Joe, he's actually opened it up to discussion, and um, and not only that, yeah. opened up to further updating in the future as well. So, and, and please keep in mind, no matter what you put out there, there are going to be people who have some. Some negative feedback. That is 100% guaranteed. You will never have a formula that is cross the board fair. All yeah. of them, people will raise their hand and will say it's unfair. That is guaranteed. Well, I'm sure even with this one, you're going to just get people that are a little bit still apprehensive of the fact that you're not competing against people that day. You're competing against people within your weight class on any given day. Yeah. Yeah. So there might be arguments with regards to, well, I should have been best lifter on this day, but... Yeah, and I don't fully understand, like, but kind of, isn't that kind of how Wilkes is too, though? Yeah, except for Wilkes, you're dealing with a set point. There's never any, it goes back to the whole fact that you had outliers and stuff like that, things that weren't taken into account, whereas now things are taken into account. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense, but again, I, um, I mean, I'm trying to wrap my fucking head around this, and this is yeah. outside of my expertise. I got a feeling... The vast majority of people, it's outside of their ex. Well, no, I don't have a feeling. I know. Uh, about 98%. Way, way to go out on a limb there. <laughs> 98% of people listening and who follow King of Lifts on, on the social media, this is outside their expertise. All they see is Ray Williams is way lower, and they're like, that has to be bullshit. But they have absolutely no idea what's gone into putting these together. And I'm not talking shit. That's me, too. I don't understand no. as well. So I got to kind of, you know, pr- try to process this. And. I think over time it becomes more and more clear and you start seeing trends and then uh, some things you start getting more accustomed to. Well, that makes sense. The more the population sits around here. 
Uh, in the women's, more of the population does not sit around 84 kilo. However, Amanda Lawrence, I think we can all agree, is is a massive outlier with what she's shifting. Yep. When she squats, what a woman 300 pounds can squat, when she's 100 pounds less, it starts to make a little sense. Same with deadlift, etc. So we'll start seeing as times go by, is it just Amanda Lawrence and not all 84 kilo women have such a massive advantage? Because we see a skew because there. Because we see more lifters than Or that. is it just because Amanda Lawrence is really that good? Because she is fucking good. Yeah, as I said, five, she, 571 right now. 571 kilos is the current world record. Yeah. Set by Danielle Mello, who previously, up until this year, we were talking about as an outlier. Yeah, and now we have a new and outlier. And Lawrence on her off day now just hit 596. On an off day, and we have a new outlier that far ahead, so... It might... You're talking about like a Jen Thompson bench type performance. Yes, yes. That, that's You know what? That's a very good comparison. So having said that, I'm not ready to see that and be like, I don't care necessarily five out of nine if the total is so massive. You know, um, someone could stay in the pocket like Meg Scanlon, go nine for nine, but her total isn't as massive. No. Whereas Jen, Jennifer Lawrence might have been out of pocket, missed attempts, but her total's just no, unfortunately, insane. Unfortunately for Meg Scanlon, like, Amazing day, amazing performance. And it's still but amazing her, performance. Yeah, but her 490 said. whatever that she hit that day isn't an outlier compared to the rest of the 63s. And you know what? That's also true. That is true. That is not an outlier performance compared to the rest of the 63s, no. what we've seen in history. Whereas Amanda Lawrence, 5 for 9, that is an outlier compared to what we've seen no. historically speaking. It actually still does make sense. So what, I, what I'm saying, if I could wrap this up, uh, I don't want to go on for too long here, but um, let time go by... And if you start seeing trends, is it a trend and you're following an outlier like Amanda Lawrence? Or is it actually all 84s now have an unfair advantage over 63s and 57s? Because if it's Amanda Lawrence, she just might be that freak athlete that's a same Bolt style. Yep. And it kind of looks like it is. And maybe we leave it at that before we start talking. I think so. I think up. that's a good point to finish it. <laughs> so, from Six Pack Lapidat and Paul Moranzen underscore lifts. Until next time, and please, post us in your stories. We'll repost it. Let people know because uh, this is information that we think should be passed around through all the powerlifting community. This is, this is pertinent information that everybody should be hearing. Thank you very much. Until next time, peace.